happy. So take your Bibles this morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, and I'm going to look at one verse there, and then we're going to go to the book of Mark. Now, we have begun last week um, a series of messages entitled, From the Cradle to the Grave. Now, our purpose in this is to follow the Lord Jesus from a baby in Bethlehem um, until the time when He conquered the grave in Jerusalem on that first Easter morning. So we're going to go from the first Christmas um, all the way to the first Easter uh, in these three weeks that we have during the month of December. Now I know that that's not near enough time to, to go through all of that in depth, but we are going to hit some of the high points and some of the great foundational truths of our faith. And so last week we talked about the virgin birth. And folks, I want you to know, without the virgin birth of Jesus, the Christian faith just doesn't make sense. As a matter of fact, we said last week that if you take away the virgin birth, the Christian faith folds up like a house of cards, and it certainly does. You must know about the importance of the virgin birth. Now let me say something to you. Folks, when I say that Jesus was virgin born, I'm saying that Jesus was born um, apart from what man can do. Can you say amen to that? As a matter of fact, if you remember, the angel said to Mary, Mary said, how can these things be? I've never known a man. And what did he say? With men, this is impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. If you believe that today, say amen. Yeah, nothing is impossible with God. God is not in any way handcuffed by what men can do or can't do. God can do what He wants, when He wants, how He wants. Can you say amen to that? And so God did what was necessary so that we might have a Savior. And He did it through the virgin birth. How many of you know Jesus was not born of the seed of man, but was born of God? Can you say amen to that? Now, why is that important? Listen, if Jesus had been born of the seed of man, he would have been born just like you and I. And we know, according to the teaching of Scripture, according to Romans 5, 12, everybody that's born of the seed of man is born into sin. And if we're born into sin, we stand in need of a Savior. So if Jesus hadn't been born of, and, and, and by the seed of man, listen, he would have needed a Savior. He wouldn't have been the Savior. But because he was born of God through the virgin birth... Because he was born of God perfectly, he could live the perfect life, be the sinless son of God, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And folks, listen to me. He was born perfect so that he might live perfect, so that he might be the sin bearer for each and every one of us. How do you understand? Sin can't die for sin, but the perfect holy son of God can, and he shed his blood for you and me. Without the virgin birth, the cross means nothing. And so we've got to get a hold of the importance of the virgin birth. Amen. C.S. Lewis said it best, I think. He says a lot of things best. He said, the Son of God became a man so that men could become the sons of God. Matthew one twenty three, the angel spoke it like this. He said to Mary, you're going to bear a son. You can call his name Jesus, which is interpreted Emmanuel. Or God with us. God took on flesh and became a man through the virgin birth. God incarnate in the flesh. Coming to do for men what men cannot and could not do for themselves. Jesus became a man so that he might die for men. That's the virgin birth. This morning, Lord willing, we're going to look at the victorious life of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 
Verse number 57, I find one of my favorite verses. And if this is not one of your favorites, it should be. So underline it, put a star by it, circle it, write it down in your notes. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says this, But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know you've got victory in Jesus? If you have Jesus this morning, let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we're so very thankful for who you are, for what you've done. Lord, I'm thankful for this Christmas season. I'm thankful, Lord, that you came to do for men what men can't do for themselves. I'm thankful that, Lord, you still are at work in our lives to accomplish your goodwill and purpose. I'm thankful that you've given us peace and joy and purpose. I'm thankful this morning, Lord, that you promised where two or three are gathered, you're in the midst. And so, Lord, we know that you are here with us today. And I'm asking that you speak to the hearts and lives of people to do in their life what only you can do. Lord, I can preach truth, but only you can impart truth. And I'm asking you this morning, Holy Spirit, that you impart truth to the hearer. If there be one here that needs saving today, Lord, I pray that you save them. Lord, if there be one here that needs comfort today, would you comfort them? Lord, I pray that if there be one here that's struggling, you help them through their struggle in whatever area they may be dealing with this morning. God, you are able and we praise you. Teach us this morning about your victorious life and what it means for each and every one of us. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says that we have victory in Jesus if we know him and he knows us. Amen. If we've placed our faith in Christ, we have victory in Christ. Now, how many of you know we can only have victory in Christ or victory through Christ through a relationship with Him if, if Jesus is victorious? If Jesus is not victorious, then we can't have victory in Him. So this morning, what I want to do is go through the Scriptures and we're going to look at how Jesus is victorious in certain areas in life uh, over all things. Look with me this morning, if you will, in the book of Mark, chapter starting in chapter number 1. Now we're going to be going through quite a bit of Scripture, so hang with me, but stay with me because I, really, I want you to see this this morning. First thing that I want us to see is that Jesus is victorious over demonic spirits. Mark chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verse number 21, and then we'll go to Mark chapter 5. Now, why am I, do I want to talk to you about Jesus having victory over demonic forces or demonic spirits? Well, let me read something to you. The Gospel Coalition just last year did a survey, and they surveyed Americans and asked them two questions. First, they asked them if they believed in a literal Satan. And then they asked the people that were surveyed if they believed that demonic possession was possible. Now, uh, among the people whom they surveyed who had no affiliation with a religious organization or denomination, 57% of them believed in a literal Satan. 51% believed in demonic possession, so about half. Now, folks, I want you to know that really doesn't surprise me. It alarms me. It worries me. It gives me something to pray about. Amen. But I want you to know this. That doesn't surprise me. If a man, woman, boy, or girl is not in church under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, they're not going to know much about spiritual things. So it doesn't surprise me that only half the people in the world that are unchurched do not believe in a literal Satan. But let me tell you what does alarm me. Let me tell you what does surprise me somewhat. Do you know among Christians, among born-again believers, those who professed to have trusted in Christ, 70% of those people 
believed in a literal devil. You say, well, Brother Israel, that's higher than 50%. Well, of course it is. That's 7 in 10 that believe in Satan. If that's true and these statistics are accurate, that means 3 out of 10 people who are in church regularly, who claim to be born again, do not believe in a literal Satan. Folks, that alarms me for a lot of reasons. First of all, if they're in church on a regular basis and claim to be born again, and we have to ask the question, what in the world are they being taught in the church they're going to? What Bible are they preaching from? What's the basis of the teaching they're receiving? Where do they find their foundation? Because if they don't believe in a literal Satan, they're not reading the same Bible I'm reading. They're certainly not reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because Jesus talked about him all through it. You say, well, Brother Israel, he talked about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What about other places? You look in the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, you're going to see the evidence and the teaching of a literal Satan. An enemy of the things of God and the people of God and God himself. You find it on the third page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. And not only did it, it don't stop there. It starts there, and we, we see it all the way through the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, we're studying Revelation now on Wednesday nights. And for those of you who come on Wednesday nights for that Bible study, you know Satan is with it to the end. Can you say amen? amen. All the way through. So what Bible are they teaching from? What are they learning when they go to the church they're going to? That alarms me. It should alarm you. As a Bible-believing people, 60% believe de demonic possession is possible. Again, C.S. Lewis, when speaking on Satan, he said this. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors in which the human race can fall about devils. One is to dis disbelieve their existence, and that's right. He says the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And I, I couldn't agree with him more. There, there, there are two extremes. Either people don't believe there is a Satan at all or they're so interested in satanic things and demonic activity, that's all they want to think about and talk about. You ever been around those folks? They see a demon behind every door. Now don't get me wrong, folks. I want you to know demonic forces are at work in our world today. If you don't believe that, just turn on your television. I was talking to a man just the other day, a believer, strong believer, strong in his faith, who worked in our prison system. And he said he believed with everything in him. The main problem in the prison system that he's in is the, uh, uh, listen, demonic forces at work. I would agree with that. I think a lot of the things that we characterize as other things, medically speaking, they don't have a physical or a medical problem. They have a spiritual problem. And so the demonic activity is alive and well in this world, and we need to understand that. We need to know that. And we shouldn't uh, completely disbelieve the, the existence of Satan, but we shouldn't go too far the other way either and, 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 and be so interested and, 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 and everything be that dominate our thinking as far as spiritual things go. We see that as well. If you don't believe that, look at the new movies that come out. Man, half of the things that I see the previews of on television, I, I've got to hide my kids' eyes so they can sleep at night just watching the previews. It's all about demonic activity and possession, and people are so 
uh, interested in it. It controls everything about them. So we shouldn't go too far either way. In Mark chapter number 1, verse 21, we see what the scripture says. It says, and they went into Capernaum, and Jesus and his disciples went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, watch this, he entered into the synagogue and taught, and I love that verse. Let me tell you why I love it. Because it shows us how Jesus lives his life. How many believe Jesus came to save the lost? If you believe that, say amen. He came as Savior. But let me tell you something else. He didn't only come as Savior, he came as our example as to how we are to live godly lives. And so the Bible says, and, and here and in other places, it says right here in Mark chapter 1 that on the Sabbath day, on the day of worship, Jesus went into the synagogue. You know what that means? Jesus was faithful to corporate worship. Now let me say something to you. If it was important for the Son of God and God the Son, God incarnate in the flesh, to be in church on the day of worship, to be in corporate worship on the day of worship, how important is it for us to be in church? to be in corporate worship on the day of worship. Jesus went to church at time of worship, and we should as well. We should make that a priority in our life. It says in verse 22, And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority. Watch this. And not as the scribes. There were a group of, there was a, the religious crowd, the scribes and the Pharisees who, uh, listen, they looked the part and they acted the part, but they didn't have any authority. They didn't have any power. And the people didn't want to follow them. But when it came to Jesus, the Bible says this, that Jesus taught as one who had authority. He was walking in, operating in, preaching in, teaching in the power of God. And the people saw a difference. I'm going to tell you something, folks. If you want your church to be pleasing to God, if you want your church collectively to reach the lost and make a difference in your community, if you want your church to be what God wants it to be, let me tell you what we need above everything else. We need the power of God. We need to preach in the authority of God himself. We need to, listen, teach in the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we can truly be effective. Jesus was not only, listen, victorious over um, the demonic activity, demonic spirits and forces, but he was also, listen, victorious over dead religion. The Bible says he wouldn't like the scribes and the Pharisees who had religion without relationship. He was one who walked in power, who lived in power. Religion is man's feeble attempt to be pleasing unto God by their own self-righteous acts. Listen to me, that's not what God wants. That's not what Jesus offered. Jesus offers a relationship to God through himself. It's through that relationship we receive power and the person of the Holy Spirit to be what God wants us to be. Let's go on. It says, And there were in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee that thou art the Holy One of God. I love this verse. The demonic spirit cried out from the man and says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. You're the Son of God and God the Son. You're the Messiah, the promised one that God has promised to come and take away the sin of the world. The demons knew who he was. 
And listen, not only did he have authority over the people physically, he had authority over the demons spiritually. That's a big deal. Somebody say, that's my Jesus. If you're here today and you're a believer, you've trusted in Christ, you've been born again and you know it. That's your Jesus. Now listen, if you've not yet been born again, I've got good news. Today is the day of salvation. Listen. Listen to me. Today is the day of salvation. You keep your attention. Don't you let Satan use things and people to get you away from what God's trying to say to you right here. Amen. He has authority. He's victorious over demonic spirits. And Jesus commands him in verse 25, hold thy peace, come out of him. That's exactly what takes place. When the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. They were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, what uh, thing is this? That What new doctrine is this? For with authority commanded he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Let me say something to you. The demonic spirits must, be, must obey him because he has victory over them. Now, why is that so important to us? Well, let me say this to you, folks. Listen to me. How many of you know we are in Christ? If you place your faith in Jesus, what the Bible teaches, isn't it? Say, write this verse down, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Write down Ephesians 1, 3. Ephesians 1, 3 tells us that those who have placed their faith in Jesus have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ. Write down Ephesians 2 and 6. Ephesians 2 and 6 says this plainly, that those who are in Christ are seated in heavenly places. So I want you to know, if you've placed your faith in Christ, something's changed. Your position has changed. You went from being outside of Jesus in your sin to now being in Christ, forgiven of your sin, washed clean by His blood. All of that happened when you placed your faith in Christ as Savior. So you are now in Christ. But now listen, let me say something else. Christ is also in you. Write down 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 16. The Bible teaches 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, that we are the temple of God and that God dwells in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. If you believe that, say amen today. Now, what, what am I trying to say to you? Jesus dwells in the believer in the person of the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three God, three distinct personalities. Now the Bible says that the Holy Spirit indwells the believer at the time of conversion. So now when I place my faith in Jesus, I was indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit and Jesus are one, that means Jesus dwells in me. In the person of God the Holy Spirit. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. Now what's that mean? Well, if he has victory over demonic spirits, you do as well. Amen. <laughs> Let me say this to you. You ought to respect Satan. You ought to respect demonic activity. Don't get so interested in it that it controls your thinking. Don't, be, don't excessively uh, think on these things. We shouldn't do that. Listen, but you don't have to fear it either. Amen. 
And I'm thankful for that. Write down 1 John 4 and 4. The Bible says, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Let me say something to you. I don't go around picking a fight with Satan. You shouldn't either. You ever heard those folks want to pick a fight with him? Want to call him out? Don't do any of that. The Bible teaches against that, matter of fact. That's not wise to do so. Let me tell you what I figured out. You just keep serving Jesus and being faithful. You won't have to pick a fight. The fight will come to you. You just keep serving the Lord. You keep being faithful, realizing that greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. He has victory over demonic forces. Go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, I'm going to let you read this on your own, but starting in verse 1, you're going to see through verse number 20 that Jesus steps off the boat in the country of the Gadarenes, the Bible says. And the moment he steps off the boat, there was a man who was indwelled by thousands of demonic spirits that came and fell down at Jesus' feet. See, that's my Jesus. He's the one that the demons fall down at his feet. And the demons began to beg him that, they won't, uh, that he will not torment them, just like the one in Mark chapter 1. Jesus casts them out. They run into a herd of swine, the Bible says, and they fall off a cliff. Now let's see something else, though. Not only does he have victory over demonic forces and victory over dead religion, but he also has victory over disease. If you believe it, say amen. Look at this, verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again into the ship into the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jairus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. There's so many people who couldn't hardly walk is what that word means. Verse 25 says, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years. Now watch verse 26. I want you to get a hold of this. And had suffered many things of many physicians... And had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. Let me, let me in, if I can this morning, give you my interpretation of verse 26. She had been poked and prodded and checked and diagnosed. And she had been here to the doctor and she had been there to the doctor. And she had saw every doctor she knew to see and nobody was helping her. She had a disease that no man could fix. Now some of you can relate to that. Some of you ex have experienced that in your own personal life. Some of you have experienced that with family members or friends. But all of us have experienced this in some way. This woman had a disease that could not be fixed by man's power. Truth is, because we're in this flesh and we're weak, all of this deal with sickness, and disease, problems physically, that we can't fix ourselves. Now watch what happens. And when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind, watch this now, and touched his garment. Now watch what she says. I love this. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. She said, I've been to every doctor, I've spent all my money, I've done everything I can do in my power. They've done everything they can do in their power. But if I can just get to this Jesus and I can just touch his clothes, 
I ain't even got to touch him. If I can touch his clothes, I know I can be made whole. I love that. Folks, that's faith. And let me say this. Listen to me very plainly. Faith plays a part in supernatural healing. But just because you don't have or don't experience supernatural healing, that doesn't mean you don't have enough faith. Are you hearing me? Let me tell you why I say that. Because you hear these faith healers on TV and these people, these name it and claim it guys on TV and on the radio or wherever you listen to them. I hope you ain't listening to them, but if you do, you're going to hear it. They're, they're going to they're preach this stuff that as long as you have enough faith, whatever you encounter, you, you, you can overcome it. Well, let me say something. God can heal. Can you say amen? We ought to pray for healing. I believe in healing. I still know God is able. I have seen healing. Amen. But now I want you to know this. Jesus doesn't heal everybody. He didn't heal everybody on the pages of Scripture. Let me tell you why. Because his purpose was not to come and heal those who were sick, but to heal all of us who were spiritually sick. He's much more concerned about our spiritual sin sickness than he is about our physical sickness. You say, brother, does that mean he's not concerned about our physical? No, absolutely not. He loves you. Sure, he's concerned about what's going on in your life. But I'm just saying, everybody wasn't healed in the day when he walked upon this earth. And I want you to know, everybody you pray for today is not healed. But simply because they're not healed, that doesn't mean they don't have enough faith. Some of the greatest men and women of God I've ever been around in my life, some of the strongest people of faith I've ever been around in my life. Listen, they got a disease and they prayed and they wanted healing. They sought the Lord and they trusted God for healing but didn't receive it. Does that mean they didn't have enough faith? Of course not. This meant it wasn't God's will. Wasn't God's plan. All of you know, just last year, we lost Brother Thomas right here at the church. You think that brother had faith? Amen. No, he did. Strong man of God. Sure, he had faith. Did he believe God enough? Absolutely. Let me say this. He and every other child of God, he may have not have been healed here. But every child of God is healed. Can God heal us here? Absolutely. Does he sometimes heal us here? Absolutely. But I tell you this, every child of God is healed when we enter into his presence. He may not heal us here, but he certainly heals us there. Let me tell you the good news in that. We're only here for a little while. A very, very short time. Uh, we can't even comprehend or imagine. Somebody give me a pen. Anybody got a pen? We can't even comprehend or imagine just how short our time is here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to put a little dot right there. Anybody see that? Probably can't see it from where you're sitting. I can just barely see it. But let me tell you what that represents. That represents our life on earth. 
hey, if you live 50 years or 60 years or 70 years or 80 years or 150 years, that represents your life on earth because really that's all it is. This is just a drop in the bucket. This is the speck. Now, all these other white walls all around this church represents eternity. Now, listen to me. Let's go a step further. Not only the white walls in this room, but every white wall on the face of the earth represents eternity. Our life is just that little speck. So why is it such a blessing to know that even though we may not be healed here, we will be healed there? Because there is really what counts. Can you say amen? There is really what we're living for here. There is really what makes all the difference. So if we can ever get, you know, that in our minds and, and think about just what we have to look forward to as a people of God. Wow. What a blessing it is. Now watch. Let's go on. The Bible says that this woman had faith. Now listen, her faith moved her to action. There was a throng of people. People couldn't even, you couldn't even hardly get around Jesus. There's so many people. We couldn't even walk for the crowd of people that was around him. And she fought her way through the crowd just to get to his garment. Now listen to me, folks. True faith always moves God's people to action. Verse 29 says, And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up as soon as she touched his garment, and she left in her body, and she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? Now watch what his disciples says. I love this. And the disciples said unto him, Thou, sayest, thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? He said, Why, What are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. Well, this was a special touch. See, when, when, listen to me now. When she touched the hem of his garment, healing power from Jesus was transferred from him to her. And he knew that. The Bible says that virtue had left. That power had left him and went to her. She was healed completely of her sickness. And he knew it. And he wanted this made public. Let me share with you why. Let's go on. Look what it says. And verse 32 says, And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. And but, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. Now, folks, I love that verse because it shows us what our re reaction will be and should be when we're truly in the presence of God. When, when, when you truly get in the presence of God and you start experiencing who he is, there will be a great reverence that you will have. Maybe like you've not had before. Have you ever been in the presence of God and it be so strong that you were really afraid to move or do anything? You really didn't know what to do? I've been there in my life a few times. I hunger for that. I, I want that more than... Man, it's, it's one of those times when God does such a work, you really don't know how to act. Now listen. I think that's what's happened with this woman. God has just done something that only God can do. She realizes she is in the presence of God, the Son, the Son of God, and she becomes afraid standing before him. There's a great reverence, even a fear of her being in the presence of God. There's a song sang by Mercy Me called I Can Only Imagine. I can only imagine what it will be like when we stand before the Lord and it talks about will I stand in his presence or to my knees will I bow 
Folks, I, I, I just have to think that probably when we stand before the Lord and we're in his presence, we'll probably be on our face. I don't think we can even get to our knees. This woman began to fear and tremble knowing she's in the presence of God. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. The word whole there is the same Greek word that's translated saved. How many of you know when Jesus healed somebody physically, he also took care of their spiritual need? Now, li now listen to me, folks. Oh, I want you to get a hold of this. Listen. Again, there's two types of sickness. There's physical sickness and there's sin sickness. And what Jesus wants more than anything else is to heal sin sickness because, folks, that's really what our eternity hinges on. He has victory over demonic spirits. He has victory over disease. Listen, he has victory over death. Let's read the rest of this chapter and we're done. It says in verse 35, While he yet spake, then came he from the ruler of the synagogue's house, certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Look at me right here. If you're a believer this morning, let me give you some good news. You don't have to fear. Be not afraid. One of the greatest messages of Christmas is the message of the angels to the shepherds. When they said, do not be afraid, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Because Jesus has come and done for us, again, what we can't do for ourselves, because I've placed my faith and my trust in him and been born again, I do not have to fear whatever comes my way whether it be demonic forces or disease, you name it, I don't have to fear it, even death. He says, be not afraid, only believe, verse 37. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Now watch this, look, look what he says in, in verse 38. And he cometh into the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult, them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, why make ye this, do this, uh, or excuse me, why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. Now, the Bible says in Luke chapter 8 that she was dead. The people who came and spoke to Jesus said that they, she was dead. Now, let me tell you what I believe. I believe this girl was dead. I believe Jesus is trying to let these people don't know that there's more after death, that it's not death is not final. I think he's trying to share the same message that the rest of the New Testament shares concerning the believer that, listen to me, death is not something we have to fear. He always calls death for the believer throughout the rest of the New Testament sleeping. <laughs> so he says in verse 40, And they laughed him to scorn, but when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and they that were with him, and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, uh, Talithi kumai which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should give, someone should give her to eat. Now let me say something to you folks. Jesus has victory over our greatest enemy. Death is our greatest enemy. It's something we all have to face. Can you say amen? 
Last time I checked, one in one people die. We all are going to face death, each and every one of us. But for the believer, we don't have to fear it because Jesus has victory over it. And if we are in Christ and Christ is in us, we have victory over death as well. Death for the believer is nothing more than us changing addresses. Our last breath on earth will be followed by our first breath in heaven. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. It's not something we have to fear. I don't look forward to it. I think that's morbid. I think God has a purpose for me here. I can't wait to see what God does with my family, with my kids, with my grandkids, with my great-grandkids. I hope I have 70 more years with my wife. I want to see what God does at Mount Zion Baptist Church. I, I love life, but I don't fear death because I know he has the victory. I'm in him and he's in me. Let me ask you this. Do you know that this morning? Do you know that you are in Christ and Christ is in you? If so, you don't have to fear. Don't be afraid. But now let me say this. If you don't know Jesus, I don't know how you're walking around. I'd be, I'd be scared to death. If you don't know Jesus, why not today? You can have peace that passeth all understanding. You can experience joy unspeakable and full of glory. You can know the purpose God has for you in your life. But it comes with a personal relationship with Jesus. I can show you this morning what that means from the Word of God. Jesus has victory. He is victorious over this world, over everything in it. Let me say this, folks. Because of that, we can have victory in Him. If you need him today, why don't you come? I'm going to tell you, Christmas means so much more to you if you're born again. If you need to be saved today, you come. Listen, if you're here today and you're a child of God and you're struggling, and we all struggle from time to time, don't we? Guess what? He helps us through. Pain, hurt, disappointment, discouragement, doubt, problems, sin. You know Jesus is also victorious over sin. The Bible says that he knew no sin. The Bible also says in Hebrews chapter 4 that he came and dwelt upon this earth as a man and was tempted just like all of us are, yet he did it without sin. He was victorious in life over sin. And because you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you can have victory over sin too. Whatever struggle you may face, whatever temptation you may, may be falling to, whatever you need today, he alone is able. Everybody stand together. If you need the Lord, you come. Hey, I'd love to pray with you. These altars are always open. Don't leave here today not doing what you know you need to do. And if you need to do business with the Lord, you come. This is your invitation.